people rejoice over their people. We rejoice over our people. Uh, this last Monday night, had a chance to go to a college basketball game, the first one I've been to in, in years. It was uh, in Lubbock, Texas, and and uh, watching the Red Raiders play the Longhorns. And a lot of things were going on, of course, but it's senior night. And if you've watched any basketball this weekend, almost every place that you saw, every game you saw was somebody's senior night. And one of the things that sometimes happens on senior night is you'll see and recognize those seniors that have been on the team all year, but you never saw them because they never play. <laughs> and so they're just, you know, they're good team participants. They're needed for the practice squad. They usually represent a lot of heart and soul, but they just aren't the best players on the team. So they get to go in at the last of the last game, whether you're winning big or losing big, and they sub them in, and the crowd goes wild because they know who they are, and there's a lot of jubilation and excitement at these seniors that go in. So in true to form, there was a senior on the tech team, number 30. I don't even know his name. Number 30, he goes in, and there's just maybe, I don't know, less than a minute left. He goes in, and of course, the rest of the team, all they want is to see him do something great, something fun, something that he'll remember on his senior night, because they are, their season is full of memorable experiences, but not these seniors. So number 30 gets the ball. They work the offense so that he gets the ball isolated on the three side. And he kind of moves this way and he moves that way. And he ends up with a semi-open shot from the three-point line. And he jumps. And at the top of his jump, he releases the shot. And it banks in. All right? Just off the corner of the glass, nothing but net. And the crowd just goes berserk. And, and we know, and he's just shaking his head laughing because he's like, that's not how I meant for it to go in. And the crowd goes wild. And there's this guy sitting 10 feet from me over here, and he is going bananas. He's an older gentleman, and he's just got this look of joy on his face, and he's clapping and has that look like, how about that? Can you believe that? And I'm thinking, this guy is a little too excited. And I know we just started allowing beer in here just this year at Tech. Um, but I don't think, I mean, he's, he's way too excited even for that. And I'm kind of watching him. Well, I find out after the game that number 30 was his grandson. He rejoiced over his people. He got to see his people do something great, and it made him happy. It gave him joy. People rejoice over their people. Jesus, the Son of God, rejoices over his people too. The text that Cindy read for us is filled with joy. We have the word joy as a noun, as in the 72 disciples returned with joy. We have them rejoicing over what they've seen and experienced. We have Jesus telling them, that's great, but don't rejoice for this reason, but instead rejoice for this reason. And then later on, Jesus himself rejoices. See, the disciples are rejoicing because they have witnessed something that they've never seen before. They've finally been trusted to sort of take the reins of the kingdom 
and go share that gospel message with those in the neighboring territories. And Jesus told him, hey, just go and don't take a bunch of stuff with you. Just go and take the simplicity of the gospel. Speak peace wherever you go. And if they receive you, then stay with them and and spend time with them and bring that shalom, you know, that well-being, that words of peace, heal the sick, bring hope wherever you go. And then if people don't want you there, then don't stay there, right? Speak your words, say your peace, and then shake the dust off your shoes and go to the next place because somebody somewhere wants healing. Somebody somewhere needs that word of peace. So go on to the next place. So they return, Luke tells us, with joy because they actually saw this stuff happen. And they're so excited, they're just fumbling over themselves. They're going, golly, the demons submit to us just like you said, and you came to free people and Gosh, we, we didn't know we were going to get in on it like that. So we were trying to free people too. And we were kind of nervous, but we did it anyways. And by golly, you were right, Jesus. God showed up. The Holy Spirit was at work in our ministry. You know, we know what that's like. We start out in some kind of ministry we feel like God has called us to or somebody twisted our arm to. And we want to go ahead and give it a shot. We don't know what's going to happen. We're nervous. And we go ahead and put ourselves out there and we pray with everything in us and say, Lord, if anything good happens here, it's going to have to be you because I don't know what I'm doing. Right, that, that's what every day is like being a pastor for me. But um, it's you, you just pray in that. And then when things happen, you just look around and go, oh, my gosh, it worked. And it didn't work because I had the right formula. It worked because God is alive and active among his people. And because it turns out. As we rejoice over that, God rejoices over his people. So, anyways, Jesus kind of calms them down a little bit, but he just keeps on rejoicing. He says, uh, okay, look, guys, this is great, right? But don't rejoice because the demons submit to you. That's fine and good. But instead, rejoice that your names are written in the book of life, that your names are written in heaven. right? Rejoice that you have an identity as children of God. And in verse 21, in that same hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. And then he says a couple of things responding to his joy. Now, Jesus is rejoicing for a couple of reasons. Jesus is rejoicing because he rejoices over his people. And his people are rejoicing, so he rejoices, right? The disciples are joyful at the ministry that they've seen and, and experienced. They've been the recipients of and the bearers of. So Jesus rejoices. Jesus also rejoices, he says, because he says, don't, you know, rejoice because the demons submit to you. Because he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning. And so he's rejoicing at that. He's kind of having this moment. And Jesus is not talking about something that happened in the past. He's talking about a vision that he's had when Satan will be ultimately and one day conquered. Because we know even in Luke's gospel that evil and Satan are not fully defeated yet. Right? He is still active. That's why the disciples have to go. That's why the church is here, because we're fighting and resisting evil, and we're bringing light into a dark world. So if it was already done, that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, I've seen a vision. I've seen a new day. And one day I will return to judge the living and the dead, and I have seen how it ends. And let me tell you, Satan falls like light. I mean, it's, it's, that's how it's going to end. So he also rejoices, Jesus, at the nature of God. 
rejoices at the character of God, of how God is and how God interacts with us, his people. And in order to see what he is excited about and why he rejoices in that way, we look at a prayer that Jesus prayed. He says, so this is what Jesus does with his joy. All right, in ministry, this is what we do with our joy. We pray. We give our joy and our thanks to God. Right? We give the, the ministry to God before we begin it. And then when good things happen, we give it back to God and say, thank you, God. And when we don't see good things happen, we say, thank you anyways, God, because we know that the ministry that you've given is good and people didn't respond the way we thought. But, hey, we still know that you are God and that you're moving in the world. And we'll try again next time. Jesus rejoices. This is what he does with his joy. This word rejoices is the same word that Mary uses in Luke 1.47. Do you remember when she says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior? Luke has the same word here. Jesus is rejoicing in this same way. The first thing that Jesus does is he prays. And his prayer is a typical Jewish prayer. It's made up of two pieces, kind of two elements, if we dissect it. The first one is gratitude. That's how a lot of our prayers begin, right? Oh, gosh, I thank you, Lord. So he begins with gratitude. He says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Just starts right there. He interrupts things, and he begins to teach us about prayer. Uh, in the next chapter, he's going to share with us uh, Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer. He's teaching his disciples to pray. He says, Father, I thank you, Lord of heaven and earth. And then he gets into the specifics. So he shows that he's grateful, and then he gets into the specifics about why he's grateful. This is, this is Jesus' prayer journal, the things that he's glad for, that he's excited for, that he's grateful for. He says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned, and you have revealed them to the little children, to the infants. What? Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. This is one of my favorite prayers that Jesus prays, and, and I don't fully understand it. I struggle with it. It's a hard one for me. I want something a little more churchy and technical and doctrinal, something I can, you know, take on to the next. I want to put it in practice somehow, a little differently. And instead I get... I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and the learned, and you've revealed them to the little children. What? This is very similar to what we hear at points in Isaiah. Paul says something very similar in the first chapter of his letter to the Corinthians. I thank you that you've hidden these things. What are these things? These, these, this joy that we have in ministry, this joy that we have in the kingdom of God, that our names are written in the book of life, and that when Christ calls us to take his ministry to a world that is desperate for it, darn it, sometimes we see it happen. Sometimes we see fruit. You've hidden these things from the wise and the learned, the ones that think they've got it all figured out, and instead you've revealed it to the little children. Now, Certainly children, children. But who is he calling children in the prayer? He's referring to his disciples as children. And right? he's rejoicing over his people. He's like, thank you that you've revealed this 
to the little children. You've revealed this to the fledgling practitioners, these ones that are just getting their feet wet. Thank you for giving them this great experience. And they're going to love you. They're going to trust you because they've seen this happen. Thank you for revealing this to the little children. For this was your gracious will. See, this is what we learn about the nature of God and why Jesus is rejoicing. The nature of God is to reveal the heart of God to the humble. To reveal the beautiful plans of God to the humble. To those that know that they can't get it done on their own. Joy in this text and in the Christian life builds. You can see it build with the disciples and instead of Jesus shutting it down and saying, now, 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 let's not get carried away. He just picks it right up and then he rejoices, right? He takes it to another level and he breaks out in prayer and the disciples are watching this. They're witnesses of these things and then he kind of takes them aside, right? He's just been all public and gushy and then he turns to them at the side and he says, okay, guys, listen. Blessed are the eyes that see what y'all see. All right, the stuff you got to see that you're joyful about, that I'm thankful for. Blessed are your eyes because I'm telling you that there were prophets and there were kings that desired to see this stuff and they didn't get to, but y'all do. The children got to see. The children got to see and they didn't get to see it and hear what you hear. It occurs to me that we must risk this prayer. We must risk living by a prayer like this. Owning this prayer that ours is a God who hides his kingdom from those that think we can find it on our own. And he reveals it to the trusting, to the humble. We must risk this prayer and we must risk going. We must risk listening and we must risk being rejected to see what the disciples saw. For me, that means I must be willing to fail. You know, children are not, they're not afraid to fail. You know, they, we learn that later. You know, I picked that up somewhere else along the way. When I was a kid, I wasn't afraid of failure. What is there to fail? I'm a kid. We pick that up, though, along the way, and we just take certain steps with trepidation. We're going, gosh, I don't want to fail. I just don't want to mess this up. I hope that I can just pull through. And for me, it's a reminder that in ministry and in so much of life, if it's something I can just already handle that I'm perfectly confident for on my own without anybody else's help, it's probably not the kind of thing that Jesus is calling me to in this way. You know, you can't do this on your own. We can't do this on our own. I can't do this on my own. It's not that kind of deal. The kingdom of God is we're necessarily dependent on one another, and we're necessarily dependent on Christ. And that's why he prays this gushing prayer, and the words Father and Son are exchanged eight times. It's just this beautiful Trinitarian love, and Jesus rejoices in the Holy Spirit. It's just this perfect picture of the heavenly community. And we're getting invited in. We're being brought in. Taking risks, laying down our fear, our fear of failure, and trusting Christ. Um, last Sunday, there was a, a child in our church that was trying desperately, and I can pick on her since she's not here, 
Um, that's why I can tell you it was my child. Um, and uh, I'll let you try to figure out which one. She's up here sitting with the youth. And during communion, I'm trying to serve communion and be all proper and take you all seriously and take God seriously. And, and I'm going along. And she's leaning over the pew holding an offering envelope, which she's trying desperately to hand to me. And I make eye contact with her like, if you don't wait just a second, I'm about to do something interruptive and drastic. And she just keeps leaning and keeps leaning. It's, it's like she, the look on her face says, this is very important. <laughs> this is very important. And children are that way. They know what's important. So she's got this offering envelope. And so I, I get it after the thing and I put it in my shirt pocket and I put it on my desk. And I wait a couple of days to open it because it's not that important. Right? It's just a piece of paper. It's an envelope. It's things that kids write on. And um, down here marked, um, you can mark visitor or regular offering or special offering on our offering envelopes. And this one is marked special offering. I'm going, oh boy, can't wait to see what that is. And so I open the envelope and it's a prayer request card. It's a prayer request card with names of people in her life. And I'm studying this text, and I'm going, ah, I get it, I get it. Thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and the busy and the important, and you have revealed them to the little children. But this was your gracious will, your gracious will. And so I learned a little bit more how to pray. I learned a little bit more what it means to be in ministry. This is not the kind of joy or seeing or hearing that is the result of our circumstances. This is the fruit of risking for the kingdom of God. The, the fruit of humbling ourselves and observing God's faithfulness. People Rejoice over their people. Jesus rejoices over his people. Have you imagined this ministry setting where Jesus rejoices over you? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.